My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Christmas trees to mistletoe, dried gourds, sunflowers for ornament, or even Halloween pumpkins, and on and on and on. But could these vestiges of ancient ceremony be example of humanity's continued sacred use of certain plants? Erased by the church in the old world, but laying in wait here in the new world, waiting for their chance on the world stage, a whole new roster of psychotropic plants hiding within North, Central, and South America, with unmatched potency offering wisdom and healing. But did you know there are even toads who hold within their glands mind-expanding molecules once thought to only exist at such high quantities in plants. Here to discuss her relationship with plant and toad medicine and impart her vital wisdom to us is Whitney Fox, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with me, Miss Dickmore. Thank you for tuning in, folks, and enjoy this episode with Whitney Fox. What he was going to go do on this particular trip to the Amazon that he took every year for a month was he was going to go and work with some shamans to find out how to to work on becoming a stronger shaman battling the darkness. And so what he wanted to do, and which is what he did, is he went down there to drink another medicine called Tohe. So you see a datura flower. I think it's also called a moonflower, but you can see them in the deserts of the Southwest, just growing on the side of the road. They're a big white flower. They look like a star. Very poisonous, extremely poisonous, the wrong dosage, and it's you're dead. And so he went down, he started growing a tohe plant on his porch, and I knew what it was. And I asked him before he left, I said, you're not gonna drink tohe, are you? And he said, that's what I think I'm gonna need to do to deal with this curse. Cause he then believed that the curse, that this darkness had cursed our group. And so 
I had had a dream that sort of confirmed that to me. The dream that I had was a spirit animal download in one of my deep ayahuasca journeys. And I had this dream that my spirit animal needed to go help him. <laughs> and so, yeah, it just sounds so Harry Potter, but in any case, that's what happened. And so I, I trusted him that he felt that it was going to be attacking the entire group. So he went down in all seriousness to do battle as a with the darkness. Thank you for joining us, Whitney, on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. This is your first time joining us, and it's a pleasure. I think from what I've heard so far, this is right up our alley, and I'm glad that Tara's joining me as a co-host for this episode. Say hi, Tara. Hey. And without further ado, Whitney Fox, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself to start before we go and get the whole bio? I sure can. First, let me just say to both you and Tara, thank you for having me. I love your show. I have for a while, too. It's a lot of fun, and you you do some great stuff. So I was honored to be invited. So I am an artist and medium spirit medium. I work with evidentiary mediumship. And um, there's been a, it's kind of a, a slightly divided life. I've got a sort of normie life as an artist. And then I've got the not so normie life as a medium. And I do kind of keep them separate. So there's a whole other story that I won't get into. And that's my artist life and, you know, the regular mom and all that stuff. But the medium life has, it was fraught with a lot of paranormal experiences when I was young. Well, all the way through life. And then um, those paranormal or anomalous experiences kind of led me down a path of trying to justify my own sanity and investigating anything and everything of the metaphysical. So with that, you know, I've done some dives on out-of-body experiences and lucid dreaming, and then definitely a, a very deep dive with the plant medicines in this kind of exploration of the meaning of consciousness and the nature of it. And with that has come, well, there's always been a fascination with medium, especially my mother died 23 years ago today. And when she did, it, it was a game changer for me. And my grief was uh, so deep and so dark and so, you know, life altering that it was the pursuit of a mediumship and having found one that really helped me heal from that. And was the, her evidence was astounding and it was paradigm changing. So, you know, that's a kind of a long answer. But essentially now with that sort of art form of mediumship, I, that's kind of how I am in service to the spiritual. I guess you could say it's my 
spiritual life might. It's not a religion. I, and so I, I have gratification being in service in that way. Right on. We got a little bit of a lag towards the end there, but I don't think that was a long answer at all. I think that was an excellent answer because it gives us so much to work with. But let's let's check out this IT issue real quick. I don't. It, it could be on my end. I'm going to turn my second computer off because there's rarely ever do I do an interview with my second computer on. So we'll just get that out of the way Let in me case. That one too. Yeah. And are you, do you have any tabs open possibly? Could that be? All right. Is that any better? Yeah. Now there's no uh, latency. We hear you right away. It seems there's no lag anymore. Okay. You're not hearing any dis miscommunication on our end, right? You could. Mm -mm. Okay, cool. But if it happens, if it happens again, then I'll, I'll move and that might help. Okay. Okay. Just holler. Right on. All right. So you mentioned mediumship becoming a part of your life at a young age. When exactly was that? And, and where are you from, if you don't mind giving us a sort of general area? Yeah, for sure. I'm from Los Angeles. I've lived here my whole life. Oh, cool. Cities. So, you know, now I'm kind of overlooking Los Angeles Harbor. So I'm at the very south tip of Los Angeles. But yeah, born and raised here in LA. So and then the I guess I would say you know, to answer the other question, when did the mediumship start? I didn't know it was a mediumship, I guess, when I was having is it what you might call what I believed were ghost experiences. I had imaginary friends that freaked my family the F out. <laughs> so I stopped doing that. But uh, throughout my, you know, it, like, for instance, if I had a, I, ha I had one friend for sure had a haunted house and I, I saw what was there and had experiences and they all had seen this, had this experience later in after high school, I dated a guy who was really, the dude was definitely haunted. So I wasn't practicing mediumship, but I guess I, you could say I had a sensitivity to these things. And honestly, I don't think it's really uncommon. I just think, I think we all can be sensitive to those things. I just have more of an interest in pursuing either becoming more so or understanding what exactly I was seeing or experiencing. So, you know, I think it's one of our God-given senses. Just people get afraid. They don't know. Mm. You know, the human conditioning, you know, keeps keeps people in fear. So in any case, I you know, because of my pursuit and all of the things that, I, you know, I was drawn to read about that and many other topics. It's not that I haven't, you know, like I can go down a deep dive on any conspiracy you want to roll with, you know, so because it's all kind of connected, you know, we're we're gaslighted by our culture about a lot of things. And so I have a deep interest in that as well. Well, and that's a great point to to add on to for me. I feel like the gaslighting, I didn't even know what that term meant until a couple of years ago. But when I when I realized what it meant, actually, I think it was a couple of months ago, her and I had a conversation about it. And I realized like, oh, wow, this is what every doubter is sort of glomming into. You know, they're not consciously aware of why they're doubting your weirdness, not you, but me and anyone in particular, who expresses interest in the things beyond our five senses, the people who are confined to those five senses are the first to, you know, cast their doubt. And I always wondered, you know, like being a sort of sensitive guy, like, well, what am I doing wrong? 
it's get, getting all this like resistance rather than you know excitement because i expected people to be excited as me when i started learning about things like bigfoot and and you know ufos and all the things that sort of push you towards the weirdness at least for me at a young age and maybe i'm not as attuned i know tara's had some strange experience but it, it seems like everybody's aware of it but some of us are sort of on the path to become a medium would you agree with that do you think there was like a sort of destiny that you're fulfilling or do you think it was like a, a accident of circumstances that made you just more aware of like you said your innate human potential well the first part of your comment i would say the social engineers in our era have been at it full force what, whatever media comes at any of us, you know, anything that's woo, you know, I mean, the fact that we even have the word woo when right. you, know, you go to indigenous cultures and they're like, yeah, that they just, they contact their, their ancestors just on an average Tuesday. It's just what they do. And so, but here in the, this, like I said, in the sand of the socially engineered Tavistock, how are we going to keep the people, you know, just watching football and drinking beer and eating you know, crappy food to keep their vibration down, which I know you're with me on that. I, I mean, I, I think it's falling apart, but it's been here for a while. I'm older than you. And that programming has been at, in present in my face for, you know, my entire life. So it, like I had said in my first comment about, you know, pursue looking into those things and reading deeper and trying to find some answers was to justify my own sanity. And what I ended up finding was you get up into some writings speaking about the upper echelons of this overarching control system. And they deeply believe in all of this stuff. So, you know, there's a conspiracy there, hundred percent. So, and then the second part you said, uh, you asked what kind of what my goal is repeat that last part. Cause it kind of went into, you had a question at the end. Yeah. I'm sort of curious your thoughts on whether you think that there was a sort of, you know, particular circumstances that led you to be more apt at becoming a medium than the average person? Or do you think you're just more aware of that potential that we all have, right? Like wh which side right. of it would you fall in? Because they're both kind of true. They both could be true. Oh, yeah. And I think they are. I think, oh, well, <laughs> you know, anybody could I could go out and play football, you know, I don't really want to play football. So, you know, there's football players for that and they're drawn to that. And, you know, they, they do that, you know, or whatever our football players or the sports figures or, you know, whatever. I think I had a weird shit happen. And then with that, you know, I questioned why was I able to witness also that? Yeah. We also, I was just thinking, we all have those, those moments where we sense like the phone is going to ring before, right. you know, mm -hmm. it does. And then, mm, yeah. Subtleties. Yeah. 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 So, and I think that's how we tune, like we can, or evidence for that we're all mediums in a sense. And then whatever our, maybe our, our soul destiny is leads us along certain pathways to expand on that awareness or whatever knowledge we find. Or, yeah. Yeah. You know. It's big stuff and little stuff. So little stuff like knowing the phone is going to ring and big stuff, you know, you 
to experience a poltergeist or have a UFO encounter or see Bigfoot, you know, that one, you know, I haven't seen the big hairy guy yet, but (laughs) bucket list. What about, yeah. And neither have we, (laughs) not yet. Downloads. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on downloads? Did, was that something you experienced like in conjunction with some of the activity, the paranormal activity, like, was it a, a mystery that you were kind of figuring out or would you just sort of intuitively like this information would just click in? Like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting question. So there is some correlation between mediumship and using the same verbiage that you might use in trying to describe plant medicine, ayahuasca and DMT experiences where information comes in as a download rather than a linear delivery of information like reading. Reading comes in in a sort of a linear linear fashion. You read one word after another, after another, where when information comes in as a download, it's very much of a knowing might be accompanied by imagery or even you know, sounds or words or music or that kind of thing. The similarities between these, quote, paranormal experiences, for instance, having had, you know, like a a experience with an extended family member with a poltergeist and some really straight up shocking experiences, also a UFO encounter that I think maybe there was missing time and there was two other witnesses and it, it was a very, it was more than a light in the sky. It was a big encounter. It And then also with plant medicine journeys and then also in some ways with mediumship or deep meditation there is a there's like an altering of like a a a temporary altering of the timeline or the time space i can't really put my finger on it other than that there's a shift in the shift in the in the space sometimes even something that you can kind of smell or Mm. physically feel so you know kind of you know so when people other people have these experiences. I'm always so curious and obviously open-minded. And that's part of what I'm mostly kind of interested. What about your consciousness changed? And then what about the like literal atmosphere changed? And is this just something that our science hasn't, is this a yeah, threshold modern science hasn't crossed yet or is not, or has and isn't telling us. Mm. <laughs> so I don't right. know. That was roundabout weird. No, no, no. I, I, I love what you said about it being sort of like analogous to psychedelics because it feels like the non-locality of consciousness is being shown to us in this example. Like the idea that your consciousness is not limited to your mind or your brain. We all sort of agree on that. I'd assume people listening Absolutely. and yourself and Tara and I, but when it comes to the Akasha or maybe what the plant teachers have to share with us, maybe this information is sort of just floating in the ether and it just like, you know, makes right. its way like pollen and pollinates you, you know? <laughs> or a spore. Yeah. 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 It's like this invisible, you know, cloud of, of information. Well, it goes back to kind of the, well, the, the download, the, you know, before, sort of before we had computers, someone said download, you wouldn't understand what they meant at all. So it's all, it's also possible that we are, some are of our consciousness or 
consciousnesses are somewhat evolving to the point where we can absorb that. And plant medicines may be a part of it. I tend to think that the antigens really are. People are, a lot of people are really drawn to, you know, expanding their mind in that way. And will it be sort of a hundredth monkey type situation where suddenly everyone will have the ability to understand things in a downloaded fashion? And maybe we do. We've just been, I mean, obviously we've been dumbed down by, you know, dirty water, dirty air, dirty, you know, everything. And the constant barrage of, you know, dumb programming. Maybe it's not dumb. Maybe it's all intentional to keep us from moving into that, you know, that next level of thinking. Right. And, you know, it, is it, I mean, I have thoughts like maybe with mind expanding protocols, even meditation, are we, are we upgrading our DNA in that way? So, you know, with all of the things that I've tried and done, I believe you can get there with meditation alone. So I don't know that all of those crazy things I've done are necessary. It was just, it's just what I did. I was, I'm for sure one of those people. It's like, oh, there's a cliff. Let's jump off it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into that because I think we've already determined that your family thinks you're crazy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't have to ask. We're all family here. So what what are some of the crazier things? I mean, I, I personally, I'll say I didn't smoke or do anything like, you know, mind expanding until the age of 16. That's when I first tried smoking weed and psychedelics followed sometime after that. But what was your experiences like? Did you dabble with psychedelics at an early age? Did you wait till you're a little older? What was the first experience like? Both, for sure. So I said I grew up in LA and so in the beach cities of LA and it would not be uncommon for, you know, a bag of mushrooms to go around. And it's not like I was always like, yeah, yeah, me, let's, I'm ready to get effed up. You know, I wasn't, and I never really have been a fan of even being drunk kind of thing. So it wasn't escapist. It was what, you know, hearing about that, what, what can happen with that? I just want to see where the, where the brain stops and where the consciousness continues. So I had a couple of early mushroom experiences that, you know, unbeknownst to me, because I was just like doing it. Everybody's doing it. I'll do it. Okay. Camping up in Sequoia, that kind of thing. And I, one in particular, I had this experience with a cat. I was just hanging with a bunch of people and went outside to get some air and not even a very heavy dose. And there was a cat and the cat came up and was staring up at me. And so I believed that I could communicate with the cat. And I, I was just staring at him. I said, if, if you can like, give me a sign that you can hear what I'm saying. And so he stood up and he turned around and he walked away. I was like, okay, whatever. And then he came back and I said, okay, well walk away again. If you can understand, if you can hear me. And so he stood up and he walked away again. And then before he went around the building, he had his little tail in a question mark shape, you know, they do. And then he walked away and, so, and then he was gone for a while, you know, and I was just staring now I'm tripping, you know, and, and I, I said, okay, so if you're still there, come back. <laughs> and sure enough, he came back. And so I went back in to get some of the guys. I'm like, oh my God, my brothers, you got to come see, I'm talking to a cat, you know? So then we all went out there and we, we all felt like we were talking to that cat and that cat was just messing with us, you know? So that was, it wasn't the first one, but it was one where I went, you know, what was that? 
that, that I mean, sure. Yeah. Maybe frying on mushrooms. Okay. Funny. And, but it was enough times where my little, my little experiment seemed to tell me something more. So I, you know, I had another experience in Sequoia where I like, I sort of shifted out of time, time speeded up. And, and so I, I like, I knew that there was something there for me. However, I was living a fairly normie life. So I wasn't, I wasn't ready to do a deep dive into like a hippie culture or anything, you know, like I served and skied and I was going to school and that whole thing. So, you know, and then moved into, you know, family, having kids and the whole thing. And then it was when my kids were older and I, you know, I had already had lots of stuff though. I was already working with out-of-body experiences. I'd already been attuned to Reiki three. So I was working with some of that and it was more like really on the side because I was a really devoted mother. I was a hundred percent, you know, on them, eyes on them. But at night I was, I'd always had a series of night terrors. So my whole life and I not understanding what night terrors really were. I really do think there was a, you know, battle of light and dark going on in the astral and the dream realm. So when I started doing out of body experiences, I was, I had some success with that. And then I was able to gain some lucidity in my dreamscape and I was able to eradicate the night terrors. So that's a whole other topic really, but I only sort of throw that in to say that I was doing other stuff, but it was later what, you know, married for 21 years and we went through a divorce and it was rough. It was rough. So I had read about the plant medicines. And so this was 2014. It's been a while. It was before it was really talked about, but I had read a couple of books. I think there were, the first one was a Daniel Pinchbeck. I don't know if you know that writer, but he talked about, an experience. He used to write for Rolling Stone and he wrote a book. He went down on assignment and was skeptical and then had his own experience. I read his book and I thought it was, I think it was called Breaking Open the Head. And I think that was my first one. And, and I thought this was previous to my divorce. I thought, you know, if I ever run into a rough time in life and I really can't figure it out, I'm going to, I'm going to the Amazon, yo, you know, (laughs) see what's good with that. But It turned out, you know, I started kind of doing a little research and it turned out I didn't need to go that far. I was at the end of my rope going through this divorce and my family kind of blowing up. And so through this whole series of coincidences and synchronicities and stuff, I found a shaman here and I started working with that medicine. And it really, you know, I was working with it deeply enough with this one shaman that it was, I was doing monthly ceremonies, two night retreats every month. And, and then some were even more extreme, certain initiation type stuff and dietas, what's called dietas and, you know, restricted diet, you know, some meditation, and then this plant medicine in particular. So many, many journeys with that. And so you might say that it sounds escapist, but based on my earlier experiences with, you know, entheogens and also exploring the mindscape, I guess you could say, it was not necessarily to escape this place. It was to discover like what's beyond this place. And so, you know, anybody that's maybe not anybody, but most people that that work with these plant medicines, it's pretty understood that those realms are 
real realms. They're just not designed like here. And oftentimes it feels more real than here. You come back here and you say, this is the illusion. And it's just, I had gotten to a certain point with that. I stopped counting at around 200 drinks. So it's probably somewhere about somewhere around 300 journeys. And then I dialed it way back. He died in in Peru mysteriously. And then I dialed it way back after that. And I finally, at a certain point, think I learned, I, I found everything I was looking for there. It was a lot of lessons, a lot of healing, a lot of started with a lot of healings and understanding, you know, higher concepts of, you know, the virtues, essentially, what is unconditional love, what is true forgiveness, you know, what is grace, you know, these kind of topics that, you know, we don't, we don't get that in school. <laughs> you know, we don't go to college to learn how to love unconditionally. But I went to another spiritual college, I guess. I was very blessed to have a, have a, a mentor like that. So, you know, but it, it also brought me a lot of answers because once a lot of the healing part was done, not unlike, you know, I, I liken it to sometimes a Christmas Carol, you know, Scrooge. And how he he gets to a point in his life and then he has the ghosts visit him and show him his errant ways. And it's very similar to that. You come back from that over and over and you go, I was the dick. Okay, I still have time to make that right. And, you know, oftentimes it's very rare for people to really, really see their own role in, you know, certain dynamics and very important very connected dynamics that, you know, it's, it's a blessing to be able to see your own part from the third person. So informing me as a medium, it moved into that for sure, because I had experiences with several past loved ones where I feel that that experience was as real as you and I talking or more so because it's, it's a download and it's a, it's a, their experiences that are realer than real. I remember them more than I remember some of my life here, you know? So, so it some, somehow also gave me the confidence to know that it's real, to know that these realms are there and that our loved ones are just right there and they understand and they participate and would, and then the very deeper concept is that we are all one. So, you know, what that unity consciousness thing, when that comes in, very hard to describe to people who haven't experienced that, you know, that turns out, you know, the Beatles were right. <laughs> so, you know, but it took me 50 years to, you know, I couldn't just hear it in a song. I couldn't go to a church and hear somebody talk about it. I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to do it myself. So I guess me jumping off the cliff is and I know that you have a ton of listeners that have to jump off their the cliff themselves. I got to see it with their own eyes, and it's nice to hear it from other people who have experiences. And some, you know, there are some people I think that might be enough. Read something in a book that'll change your life. Like I was talking to someone recently about reading Conversations with God, the Neil Donald Walsh book, for the first time, and that was downright psychedelic. <laughs> you know understanding those concepts and internalizing them and and putting them out in this you know this sort of meat space mm. that uh, that we're all walking around in yeah and you mentioned obe's out of body experiences and dabbling in those 
before you really sort of took a, a very de- dedicated and, and holistic, respectful is the word I really am looking for, approach to psychedelics. Because we've had plenty of conversations like this on the show. Some people have a different approach. Some people go at the psychedelics from that escapist point of like, oh, I just want to get away from my life. And I feel like as you're describing your journey with plant medicine, it resonates really deeply with mine and Tara's as well, you know, Tara's sat with Aya once. I have never, but that's mostly because I don't feel like I'm ready yet, you know, and, and I don't know when that time will be. But as somebody who smokes weed every day, I definitely maintain a certain aura, you know, and, and I don't know if that's for better or worse. So maybe that's contributing to my hesitation to, to do ayahuasca. But I want to ask you about the OBEs because it feels like a little counterintuitive that you would get into that first and not psychedelics. When did you, you I think I met, heard you talking about this on the Grimerica show. You said while you're raising your kids, you had a hectic schedule naturally raising kids and, and dealing with their, you know, infrequent schedules. You would go out of body, like just sort of at night, this is what I was thinking of. So an artist, I think it was Dolly, Salvador Dolly, he would fall asleep with a key in his hand, right? And the key would slip out of his hand as he began to fall asleep and land on some loud metal plate and wake him up and he'd go and start painting, right? So as an artist, I'm curious, you know, if you came at out-of-body experiences from that perspective, like, will this help me with my art? Or, or if you just were interested in, you know, seeing the where the brain stops and consciousness keeps going i like that phrase yeah but yeah both the answer is both so be being an insatiable reader let's you know like i had said i was trying to justify my own sanity after having some paranormal experiences right but also I just always had a deep interest in things anomalous, very young, you know, when I could first read, it was like either I would read ghost stories or I would, you know, and that, that reading would just lead me one book after another in that section of the, of the bookstore. And, you know, if you just happen to have any Hermosa beach old timers, there was this bookstore called either or bookstore. And and it was very famous at the time and longtime Hermosa beach residents still remember it. And there, it was three, three floors and the upper was, you, it could be likened to like, I'm sure you've heard of the Bodhi tree bookstore. You know, it's all, it was all metaphysical up there. And, you know, I burned through everything on that floor. I live right down the street from that bookstore and it's, it's, it's legend now, you know, people that remember it. But so, so I had read about various things. In fact, when I had my UFO encounter, I'll just throw in because I do somehow feel like they're all related because it's all related to consciousness or this person's consciousness. Just sidebar, I had read, I think it was a Bud Hopkins book and said in it, he said you could request a flyby. And I was just telling some friends about that on a camping trip. And sure enough, as soon as I said it is when it showed up. So, so, and I throw that in there to say that you know, you read certain books and 
your potential, your potential to change your paradigm is sitting there all of the time. Mm. Right. So at, at one point during all of those books I was reading it, it, it I can't tell you exactly when, but I picked up the Bob Monroe Journeys Out of the Body. I knew that it was, you know, something that I wanted to pursue, I guess. And I don't think that I was successful the first time reading it. However, all through that whole time, I was still having night terrors. So, you know, with, with the night terrors, they were somewhat, not somewhat, they, they could be really debilitating. And so I, it was, I kind of went back to the Monroe books to to help me do battle in the astral, I guess. That was the way I was kind of looking at it because, you know, it freaked my family out with these night terrors and that the night terrors, I do feel, you know, when I was working with that shaman, as a matter of fact, he claimed that he went into the shamanic realms and helped me there. And we had a, we shared a dream. We had a, sh a shared experience in the dreamscape. So do what you want with that. So when I did started working on it, it would be, you know, I'd, I'd read about it and then I'd try it. And then I would hear somebody talk on maybe coast to coast or something like that. And just like with all of the other stuff, I would, it would plant a seed and I'd be like, I'm going to try that. I'm going to start working with like maybe lucid dreams. You know, like if you want to work with lucid dreams, one of the, one of the exercises is throughout the day to look at your hands and see if everything about your hands is normal. So for sure I did that. And for sure I had some lucid dreams. I would be in a dream. And I would look at my hands and I'd be like, what? <laughs> this is not something right, you know, and then be able to navigate in the dream for a short while. And even a couple of times trying to have an outer body, I would move into a lucid dream. So there's some correlation there and also expanded my somewhat knowledge of my own consciousness and its ability, which I think everybody has, but I was just looking for it. So the first really powerful one because I, I started flying. I would be aware and I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to fly. I know I'm dreaming or I know I'm out of my body. I'm going to try and fly and had some success just flying around and then boom, gets slammed back in my body and like, whoa, I did it. And like riding a bike and, and my father-in-law, my ex-husband's father and I were really close and he was a deep conspiracy guy and deep seeker and wonderfully eccentric. And we could have these really long drawn out topic. There was no rabbit hole. He would not go down with me and vice versa. Right. I love the man he's gone now, but he, he would also be, you know, working on it. <laughs> so he'd be like, okay, you try to have an outer body. I'll try and have an outer body at my shop and then we'll try and meet stuff like that. So we would, and then we also did Reiki together and had, you know, had some very interesting experiences with like that. But anyway, my first very successful one was I I was doing the technique. There's a technique where you kind of like dollies where you set the alarm in the middle of the night and, you know, then lay back down. I didn't have to set an alarm because I had kids. Someone was always waking me up. So I, and that was part of it. I was like, okay, well, as soon as somebody wakes me up in the middle of the night, when I go back to bed, I'll, I'll try it. And so it was like 3.30 in the morning or whatever. And this technique was you lay on your back, relax, and and have have your arm bent at the elbow so that your hand is up in the air, kind of like you're raising your hand and just hold it there. And as you, as you feel it start to fall, you understand that your body is falling asleep and then to sit up with your consciousness, if you can, it's, you know, it's a little more involved in that, but that's a short version. 
and basically it. And so I tried, tried a couple of times and then finally it worked. I was out and I looked back and my body was lying in, in the bed and, and I, and I thought, okay, remain calm because you're going to like freak yourself out and wake up, but I didn't. And so then I thought, well, what should I do? You know? And so then it was almost as if I had a guide because I didn't really consciously think to go over to the window and go through the window and out, but that's what I did. I went over and I sat on the ledge of this window. I went through the glass and, and I suddenly found myself traveling. There was a full moon and I was traveling in the sky and I found, <laughs> found myself over Costco, right? Coincidentally or not coincidentally or synchronistically, that Costco parking lot is where my father-in-law passed away of a heart attack much, many years later. So it's like, it's weird when I go to that Costco now, I'm like, there was my OB there. He died. You know, like you live long enough. There's too many weird things that you <laughs> that come together. So anyway, I would, I, I follow these power lines and my next conscious moment was in somebody's townhouse, these, this African-American couple. And I was up by the ceiling, fully conscious, just like I'm as awake as I am now knowing that I'm having this out-of-body experience, knowing that I, I have a guide that I couldn't see, but I sense was more of a feminine energy. And and I know I'm up in the corner of these people's uh, townhouse, like high ceilings, very colorful walls. They they had sort of Afrocentric clothes on. He had like a daishiki and, 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 and I'm like, where the F am I? <laughs> Why am I here? And what am I watching? What am I doing? Like, and I'm starting to think like, I'm kind of intruding in these people's privacy and I'm not, I'm starting to kind of comprehend that I'm not all that comfortable with it. And then I can, cause I can see them at an angle and then she starts screaming and she comes running at me with a broom and yelling at me to leave. So she could see me and I presume they thought that I was some sort of ghost or spirit. And so that was like, what, what, <laughs> you know, when I came back from that, I was immediately slammed back in my body. And when you wake up from sleep, you're somewhat groggy and it takes a minute, no groggy, wide awake. My, my eyes just flew open and I had that I was awake. I just came back to my body. And so back then that was probably maybe, maybe 2003 or something like that, or 2002. And so I didn't really understand like why there, what was that? How was that even relevant? I've not met these people. I've not had any contact. The why I sort of think is to show me that that is possible and that some of the things that people see are people that have bodies somewhere <laughs> floating around. So for my own sort of edification or education, is, is it what it kind of seems like why that happened? I, you know, honestly, I feel terrible for scaring the shit out of these people, but you know, it, it's where my get my guide took me, you know? So then I moved and then I moved into a house that I think, and I still think it was the house that I rose, raised my kids in. I still think there's something there. There was a lot, we all had a lot of experiences there. Not constant, not like a constant haunting, but a lot of weird shit still kind of happens there. Wonderful house, but there's somebody that just doesn't want to leave. And then it was there that my night terrors really started to ramp up. So that was when I 
took it a little more seriously because I was really tired of being a victim, you know, because I would wake up screaming and I felt like I was losing my mind. And, and, you know, my poor husband, he would, he did the best he could to like guide me out of those things. And, and in them, there would be some imagery I could bring back. And it was definitely very, very dark. And I, in those dreams, I had learned to invoke the name of Christ, even though I was not raised Christian. And, you know, I've later come to realize there's some really cool things about Jesus <laughs> and invoking his name has very serious power. And, you know, whatever that tells you, I, once you experience that, I, I, how are you not a Christian? I guess, you know, like he's the, the you know, the, the emissary of the light, you know, that avatar. So that's what I started doing. And I started realizing that I had some control in that space. And so that I went back to trying, you know, after speaking with my father-in-law who, you know, told him that story. And he's like, <laughs> he was like, why didn't you do something useful? <laughs> like, why didn't you come down to my shop and see me? Didn't we talk about this? And, and so for him, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do something more useful. Hopefully I'll have the presence of mind to try it next time I try it. And so this was actually a little bit later because my father had passed away and I had tried to, you know, work with the OBE and I had heard another technique. I think they call it the rolling technique. And that is, as you feel yourself start to drift off, you roll out of your body instead of sit up or stand up or whatever, you just roll out and, you know, it sounds dumb, but I did it. <laughs> I mean, it's not dumb because people do do it and they call it, you know, a rolling technique. Anyway, did the rolling technique and I rolled out of my body and, you know, I didn't land on the floor, but I landed a couple of inches up from the floor. And so I was on my back hovering over the floor. And so, you know, I had the idea of wanting to go outside. So I drifted through the wall and I could, I could feel the change in density between like the joists and the plaster and the stucco and all that it was wild. So I was out on, I was on my back a couple of inches up off the ground, um, hovering over our grass. And the, it was as if I was in a different, slightly different dimension. The colors were brighter, more iridescent and rainbow, you know, like this spectral colors and everything was a little bit lighter because this was the middle of the night, but it was almost like, hard to explain, kind of, kind of like something out of Avatar really. And so I thought, okay, I'm out and, and for Dave, I'm going to try and do something, you know, bigger. And I asked, you know, the, wherever I was at large, I'd like to see my dad. And so I just got the download back. Yeah. You're not ready for that, but you got anything else? And so I said, well, okay, how about God? And so I was suddenly moving like I was a little car and I went up the street and took me to this giant tree and it took me around underneath the tree. I was circling under the tree and, and I could see this astral body, I guess, but I was dressed like the, I, I think I had like shorts and a tank top on and I could see my, then I could feel hair, even though I knew that I didn't have hair blowing in the wind. It was, it, it's what it was. And I went around this tree, had all these lights and, and, and I knew that I was getting a, some sort of download about going to get a download from this tree. And I watched this drop of water fall from up in the branches and it fell, fell watching this iridescent little thing and it, and it hit my thigh. And as soon as it hit my thigh, I had, I had not done any plant medicines yet 
this was previous to that. I got an entire download of more than I can explain in terms of the divine intelligence. So for sure that slammed me back in my body. I was like, whoa, you know, what, what am I going to do with that? I, I can't even explain that. All I know is it was imparted to me and I was gifted with that. You know, when I went to Dave's shop to try and tell him, <laughs> it's like, why didn't you come see me? <laughs> Just take me with you. You know? So with that, you know, when I started doing the entheogens, I'd encountered that divine intelligence in other ways. And then most recently, straight up and almost exactly when I sat with the Bufo frog, 5-MAO DMT, uh, that that lady shaman, she she really gave me a very large dose. And I went to where that intelligence resides and came back, you know, and it was familiar, not necessarily because of the OBE. It was familiar, like you'll hear people talk about there's this familiar place that you go that has more information than our little baby brains can even conceive of. But I do, you know, personally, I do think that we're starting to conceive of it for the same reason I had said, you know, back in either or bookstore, me reading stuff and changing my paradigm here and there in slight bits, and then eventually hearing people speak about these things. And then also, you know, essentially like, you know, seeing Captain K- Captain Cook's tall ships, you know, if, if that story is true that the natives couldn't see them because they'd never heard of them. And then as soon as they talked about it, then they could. I don't know if you know that sort of fable or myth or yeah, Whatever. we've we've talked about that on the yeah. show that that they didn't see the boats because they just didn't have a concept of it. Right. So we don't uh, making that correlation with the divine intelligence. There's some people that are going and seeing it and c- coming back and trying to explain it and and is you know I feel like it's one of the next steps in evolution is understanding that there is this you know it's far beyond a. a a guy in the sky with a white beard kind of thing. It's, it's, you know, it is the alpha and the omega and everything in between. It's just very hard to articulate what that energy really is. And then you come back here, you know, like when I came back from that ceremony or when I came back from that journey, you know, I said to my body sitter, I was like, what are we going to do with this place? Like, what is this place? Whoa. (laughs) Well, and geez, I'm so glad you're here telling us about this Whitney because there's so many things that are coming to my mind that have been in bits and pieces on other shows and one idea I want to run by you is this concept that you know we're spending all this time of our lives in the dream world sleeping right whatever the percentage is and then we in our waking world, to go back to your point, you know, it's somewhat false. It's fake compared to the dream world or the, you know, the the places, the realms that psychedelics can take us, right? I wonder if we're sort of being diluted chemically and socially engineered, like, in order to prime us, right? Because they know that we are evolving in the dream world, not the physical world. So they delay, they delay our evolution in the dream world 
by keeping us unaware of that and then using this sort of occult metaphysical symbology in the real world as like a carrot on the stick. Like, oh yeah, you know, dragons and magic and wizards and all this stuff. It's entertaining, isn't it? But it's not real. It's just not, it's just, that's just, you know, fantasy because life's nihilistic and we need something to make it feel fun. You know, it's, that's the inversion, right? When the truth is we should be wizards fighting dragons in our dreams and that progress that, you know, happens in the dream world affects us in the physical world. To your point earlier, they're stopping us from doing that to keep us in control. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So yes, yes and no. Cause I, I think there, there, and there can be more than one concept, more than one side discussed and have it be more than one thing. I think there's a combination of things that, let me put it that way. So, um, so when I came back from that, one of the messages, one of the downloads that I could put into words, you know, because it, it came in such a heavy way and such a heavy message and all encompassing sort of idea, but the way I could put it into words was this divine intelligence essentially said, we collectively have gotten us here and we collectively need to get ourselves out. So it's like, kind of like, I can't leave anybody behind with this advancement in understanding. So it's kind of like, oh, you know, we're obviously this culture is very divided and there's some people that it'd be nice to not take with us. <laughs> but essentially, if you can get behind the idea of unity consciousness that we really are all one and we've gotten ourselves here for whatever the lessons are that we're supposed to be learning we have to collectively get ourselves out so it's not like we can just be like oh you know do we have to take joanne with us because she's such a care you know yeah we have to take joanne you know and by we i mean I, <laughs> uh, so that's where it gets like real muddy for people that are like really in a dualistic sort of mindset. And then it gets real hippie talk. So you really got to kind of suspend disbelief and say, okay, what if we really were all one? How would I come at this? And so let's call them the deep state, right? I just came back with this like thinking or this thought or this possibility to roll around in my head. And that is, did you ever read or watch like the Harry Potter movies? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was yeah. born what, like around the time I was like eight or seven when they like hit the scene. So I was, I was the demographic <laughs> for that book. Yeah. <laughs> I love those books. I, so there's, there's a teaching tool. I think it's called, I think it's called the Boggart. It's this big cabinet right? And it will turn into your worst fear. And then you can practice your spells with it. Do you remember those scenes? I think like maybe Professor Lupin, when he's like teaching, he like teaches, he like does this spell and this, you know, this big cabinet, like will turn into a spider. And then one of, I think it's, Oh shoot. All the Potter fans are like, it's Neville. <laughs> like Neville puts roller skates on it or something. Right. Right. But they're learning their spells with this thing. They, they have real fear of this thing because they have to have the real fear to have the real emotion to be, to fight it, to, mm. to do this. Oh, shoot. I can't remember the spell, but it's essentially the big spell that they, they dispel all things that are, that they're afraid of. They have to generate love in their heart and they have to, you know, turn it into something that's not scary anymore. So 
if you're with me on that, it was just like the best kind of illustration I could think of is, you know, not saying that, you know, Hillary Clinton's not a monster <laughs> or whatever, or whoever pick your pick your bad guy, but it is part of their of this darkness is part of that general sort of role that's being played by these baby eaters is is it on some level really to wake us up to wake up all of us and including them and so you know hitler or yeah or you know is that and i've recently i've thought you know because lucifer is like we're thought of as the you know, the big bad guy, right? I mean, he's like as high as you can get up the chain, Lucifer, right? Is that why he's called the light bringer? Because mm-hmm. if we, you know, uncover, you know, the very darkness and we all understand that we've brought the darkness collectively, if we can get to that, then truly that is bringing the light, right. all the light, you know, and then we're in a, if, you know, we can once again suspend disbelief and we're all in this realm of light, then will we seek again for dual duality so that we have contrast with what is light, what is dark. And we once again can have a chance to choose, mm. you know, always choose Gryffindor, you know, so I used to yeah. kids, always choose the house of light, you know, no slither. Well, and so, you're touching oh. on something that I think is like a byproduct of this Darwinian thought that's sort of fading out now, thankfully of like, you know, survival of the fittest. It's not true. It's it's not really true that it's survival of the fittest. It's more survival of the most well adapted, and and yeah. that's because our environment and every piece of it, including us, is symbiotically growing towards more homeostasis, not more chaos, more harmony. And yeah, I'm I'm hundred percent with you. You know, it's like calling us a, a leopard evil. A leopard's not evil. Yeah. A leopard is maintaining its environment in a way that works in harmony otherwise it wouldn't exist as long as it has you know human beings are unharmonious we go and we kill a bunch of animals and 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 it doesn't even you know add back to the cycle in the same way a predator does but yeah i I, i'm i don't think that's hippie at all for this show we're right right there with you unity consciousness all the way tara what what were you gonna say and i was gonna say that it it's like the well, one of one of the Harry Potters is the philosopher's philosopher's stone, and so well, I was gonna I was gonna say it's like the 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 alchemical process of turning like what you were saying, Whitney, about turning darkness into light, and they have to turn the their our ne- we have to turn our our you know our negative emotions into light by generating more love in our mm-hmm. hearts. Well, yeah, all there really is is fear and love, right? And then if you get deep enough into what is fear, it's really just a looking for love. You know, that's a heavy philosophical concept and, you know, it takes some real personal thought. But, you know, ultimately, if we look around into this world, like there's just so much fear, so much fear, 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 porn, you know, everywhere and, you know, and separation and we're allowing it. We were literally allowing it. So collectively, you know, what does that look like? What does it look like moving forward to collectively take the arrows that are shot in our direction and transmute them alchemically into love and shoot them back? You know, it's so like, I can just hear eyes rolling right now, but really, I mean, what else is there? 
No, and that's, you know, that's a big part of the, the show, you know. I think people resonate with the title, hopefully, when they find it synchronistically. It finds them wherever they are. And maybe if their family thinks they're crazy, that it's really bumming them out or stressing them out. It was for me a couple of years ago. And after many conversations on this show, it's eased my stress on those matters because I realize it's all relative to our own life paths and, and maybe yeah. not everybody's at that point in their symbiotic place in this, you know, ever changing environment to be yeah. at this level, you know, maybe their role is to be the person who's blue pilled for lack of a better term. But uh, you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned doing the MEO, the five MEO DMT from the frog. And, and now that we're sort of in the realm of environment and, I'm wondering if, if you notice a difference between plant medicine and what we could probably call amphibian medicine, right? I mean, because this is something totally different, in my opinion, like sounds a lot more appealing than a vine. I'd rather do the toad venom thing. It just seems like it makes more sense. But but yeah, what what was your experience like? And is there a subtle difference between like, plant medicine and animal medicine, the psychedelics? For sure. For sure. It's like, you know, there, there's similarities in that, yes, you leave your body and you go into other realms, but the realms that you go to, I think are different. I think even, you know, with, because I have more experience with ayahuasca. So I went to many different realms. I went to so many different realms that sometimes I just went and I was in somebody else's identity. I did that a few times. I was somebody else and experiencing in real time in, you know, what their experience is. And that, that's heavy, you know, but also kind of seemed like it was in the shamanic realm of her ayahuasca, mother Ayo, you know, was it her sort of universe, I guess is the best way to put it. And then this, the, the bufo frog, if you don't know, it's, it, it's smoked and it's, you know, the venom, they've got venom sustainably, supposedly, hopefully sustainably extracted from, you know, the sides of the toad, like how anybody figured out to smoke toad venom, like seriously, <laughs> like that one, that blows my mind as much as anything else. Like somebody had, well, somebody had the idea to mix these two vines and cook them for 24 hours and then drink that and throw up for two hours. And then, you know, right. like, um, well, there's a story. Go ahead, Terry. I was just gonna say that I think that they're they're who the the indigenous the ancient indigenous the Hivaro tribe. I think it is who there? Michael Harner okay. talks about. You're okay. talking about how they said the plant spoke to them. Yeah, I think they were all yeah. just called to mm, called to it. Well, you, you got to be really paying attention. You know those subtle energies. Yeah. It's been done. They, you know, uh, I've heard and read that they've found residue from ayahuasca on utensils and and vessels that like are like six thousand years old. Wow. You know, so it's been around a while. People have no, been knowing these realms for. Well, but um, if I'm not mistaken, it, the the bufo is is relatively new. Like, there's not a, a ancient practice of this. Am I wrong? Because I thought there was a guy who is like. Took, tried to take credit at least for being the first one to smoke the venom. He said he like got it on his cigarette accidentally and, and smoked the cigarette. And 
That's how oh, you're. Wow. But Is I, that right? Well, Hamilton Morris did an episode about it on his show. And I don't want to, spoiler alert, pause, skip ahead <laughs> if you don't want to hear it and you're going to watch it. But I think Hamilton debunked that theory and found okay. out the guy kind of lied about it and and maybe learned about it from somebody else but that was the legend is that somebody had a toad squirt them and it landed on their cigarette and they smoked it and realized what happened well i you know i can't say that i know all that much i presumed that it was a sacrament like like the others you know with indigenous tribes and and the look of it is like it's in a crystal form so i presume it's like distilled down and then cooked with it or it's smoked with like a glass pipe so so my experience was you know i spoke to the lady shaman and she knew my ayahuasca experience so knew that i was probably going to be able to handle this experience and you know she i have a lot of respect for her she really does her due diligence and and really does a great job but historically i'm a bit of a heavyweight even with the ayahuasca usually bigger drinks and like it takes a lot to get me drunk kind of thing (laughs) and anyway she said you know we we give women 40 milligrams we give men 60 and then if you you if you're you know, if it's not enough, then we'll give you a booster. And so I followed all the instructions and I took the 40 and I could see sort of, I was still 100% here. I could see some, like, I was kind of looking around and, you know, and I could see maybe some like fractals and I was like, Oh, okay, well, all right, cool. It's not, it's not going to work for me or whatever. And she comes around and she goes, what are you still doing here? And so she goes, you want a booster? And so I was like, well, let's jump off that cliff. Let's go. And so she gave me another 40. So it was a hundred milligrams, which, you know, I've since kind of looked up and gathered that that was quite the heroic dose. And it for sure it took me to a place where I could, I had no choice but to surrender because I was having a hard time hanging on to my body, I guess, you know, cause I've got a great life. I love my life. And I was, I was like, ah, shit, you know, and I go too far and I could feel my heart pounding really hard. And even though there's a body sitter and there's a nurse on staff and the whole thing, I had some resistance at that point, some fear. And then finally a boom, I was just out in a portal just like as described with near-death experiences, I knew that I was out of my body and this was, I was, I was leaving, I was going. And so through that, I knew that I was going to a place that was divine. It was light. And there was my, my, my feelings were very much of that of love and non-duality. And then I got to this place where I believed it was a portal and you know, I was sort of given a choice to go through this portal if I wanted to or not. And I was out of ego. So I was no longer this identity. I was a a piece of consciousness still making some decisions, but not decisions based on what Whitney's life or Whitney anything. But Whitney was not relevant. You know, this, these sort of ego deaths are, that's how they are. You, you're, you're the higher self not in the the role that you're playing on the stage here on earth you're divine you're part of the divine intelligence and so i knew that beyond that porter portal was god or the divine intelligence and so it was as if i was kind of sucked in there and whatever happened there 
I, it's, it, this, it's ineffable. It's very hard to describe other than trying to compare it to something else, but there's, it compares to nothing else. There is no comparison to this intelligence and this energy. But what, what I could, what I can say is that it knows that we here in these little identities, it knows that we can't explain it. And so and it also gave me a download of how it's always here for all of us. And it's always trying to let us know that it loves us no matter what. So, you know, I've since heard people say or read, you know, how could God do this to me? You know, and I have that memory of like, whatever God is doing to you or with you or in collaboration with you is for you. And so I came back I came back through the portal with what I felt were massive downloads. And I was look, looking at the portal, still not in my identity yet, but also knowing that I was separate from this, you know, it's it's been described before as the, you know, the the divine or God is we're we're all a part of if if the if God is the ocean, we're all the drops in it, you know, like there's that sort of illustration to kind of understand that non-duality and i went back to being one of the drops but i wasn't quite all the way in my in this identity yet and so i had a consciousness separate from the all and i started just sort of withdrawal and i could i could sort of feel my consciousness coming back to this place and and i thought how am i going to remember this give me something <laughs> you know so give me something to take back like i got to have something that i can describe or tangible or something and as i was withdrawing back i was looking at this portal and it turned into this iridescent sort of abalone colored three dimensional image of the sacred the hindu sacred ge geometry of the shri yantra and i went but i, I didn't think Sri Yantra until I got into this identity. I just remembered it. And then there was music that was this, like, um, this tone. It was like, maybe could be likened to angelic singing. It was very, and I still can hear the tone in the back, back, back of my mind. You know, I can still sort of remember that and then remember what the Sri Yantra looked like, you know, so I came back and my body sitter, he had smoked a small bit right after I did. So as I was starting to fall in, I saw him doing that. And, and he said he had never done that before, but his experience was, we had a shared experience in that when I was about halfway back and I was just starting to kind of think again as an individual, I felt like I had someone helping me, like coming back with me, like over here, come on over here. And that was his experience as well. And so, I mean, the whole thing lasts about 20 minutes. It's nothing. I was home to make dinner. It was crazy, but I open my eyes and there's my body sitter and he's just staring into my eyes and he's like, you know, I was like, holy shit, what is this place? You know, like, what are we, what are we actually doing here? And he goes, yeah. And, and, and then we agreed that he met me like three quarters of the way back, which was wild. So so, you know, I'd made the comment, like, what do we do with this place? And he's like, right, like, there's really no explaining that download. The download is so massive and so multi-layered that there's, there's, you know, I was reminded, too, about when I was very young, I remember asking my, my father, what's on the other side of the sky? And 
he he said, well, just more sky. And and I was always like, that's not an answer, dad. Like, what's beyond the sky? More sky. There's got to be something on the other side. Right. And so it was as if that part of the download was that in our little brains, we can understand finite, but there it's truly infinite. There is no end. There is no other side. There's just more. So that's something that our brains really, you know, I, I had said this uh, to talking to somebody else the other night that like, you know, if we're, we're all little ant people, you know, if we're all ants and we're crawling around doing our thing, you know, with our, with our cars and our jobs and our blah, blah, blah. And, but we're really ants in an ant farm. If, if we walk over an iPhone, we're just going to walk over an iPhone as an ant. They have no idea what that piece of machinery does or is capable of, you know? And then I also had told her, but I, I do have a friend, you know, and uh, like all, this dog named Nelson, uh, she's got a dog named Nelson and he's a labradoodle. And if you get your iPhone out, he will stop and pose for a picture, you know? So somewhere the correlation between cor consciousness of an ant, not even understanding that they're walking over an iPhone, there's a little more co cohesive consciousness in that, in Nelson, the Labradoodle, he knows a little bit more. So I feel like I'm a little closer to Nelson and a little less than an ant because of that experience. I can at least tell you it's infinite. I can tell you that much. So anyway, wow. that was a mouthful. Hopefully. Wow. That no, that's yeah. I ants on iPhones. That's what I think of like with the great pyramids, when you see a bunch of people walking on them, it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> just a bunch of ants on iPhones. Like we don't know what the heck this thing's worth. Exactly. Or what it can do. What right. It well, and you know, I don't have big enough brain for it. Well, and, and to, yeah. to bring it back to the, the original question, which is like, how do you compare like the experience of this frog venom to a psychedelic from a plant? Well, my instinct tells me maybe we're connecting in a deeper way to the conscious fabric of our biome, right? Because we're using a, another conscious entity that moves like we do as a, as a link rather than a plant, which... As you're saying all this, I'm sort of thinking in my head, like, aren't plants constantly dreaming? You know, they, they never move. They're always sleeping, right? I mean, they're in a dream world their whole lives. I mean, it makes sense that we'd smoke them or eat them and they'd give us these amazing effects. I mean, yeah, there's a, a material chemical explanation, but the experience is what's powerful. You know, you can go into a lab and tell me what molecules are in the frog and why that molecule hits the receptor in my brain. But unless you're wearing a lab coat and you experience it yourself, you go out and trip, you know, and do it, your, yeah. your opinion isn't, you know, as valid or, or your research really isn't as valid. So like the guy, Daniel Pinchbeck that you mentioned, you know, taking the skeptics approach and then having this revelation of experience, I could see how that, you know, pushed you over the cliff, so to speak, to, to want to try that. I, I feel the same way. I don't know. It's, it's, it's something that is right around the corner. I could do DMT at any moment. I just have been hesitant. You know, okay. So that was this summer, early this summer in June. And then I hadn't been doing a lot of uh, ayahuasca in the last, in the last year or so, a little more, but so, but I did, 
and it was either maybe too soon or maybe it was meant to be, but I had the darkest experience I'd ever had with that medicine, absolute hellscape. And I had had hellscapes before, but this one, there was an element to it that it was as if, you know, they, they say with her, with her meaning the spirit of ayahuasca, most people that do that medicine are, are also convinced that it's mother nature essentially and the, the spirit of the planet and the teacher teacher she, she had for sure given me terrible lessons to learn before but this time she they say that she'll never give you more than you could handle it was almost more than i could handle <laughs> so you know it was as if I was pretty sure that this identity, this body was gone and that my family here was dealing with the aftermath of having to, you know, deal with my death and I couldn't get back in. And every time that I would try and come back in, I would take this deep breath, this like rebirth thing, and then it would pull me back out. And so I'm still kind of processing that. And, but it's also part of why in, uh, in a lot of ways, I think that maybe that's run its course for me because one, I'm older and it's very hard on your body. It can be, it was brutal. Like, you know, with the purging and even though the purging is very healing and there's, I have a lot of thoughts on the whole process because I've had enough experience with various shamans and various protocols and different techniques. And I've, I've sat with people that know what they're doing and people that don't, and also people that are ego-based and ones that aren't. And so I learned a lot, whole thing. Uh, so I definitely feel that I can compare the two and it, where You've maybe heard that mushrooms feel alien to some people. Have you ever heard that? Like an alien spirit? Well, uh, I've I've done mushrooms and acid, so I guess I don't have like anything more natural than those two to c compare it to. But yeah, I can imagine a fungus would be sort of alien considering that scientists actually say that there's no earthly origin yeah. for fungus. It, it is it, actually alien. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. And that might explain it just seems like it's a little kind of trickster alien, you know, the dancing little spores and stuff and all their little games they play and they teach you things that are kind of off planet, really. But but then ayahuasca is very, I think, or I feel, you know, to kind of answer your question, I think is a realm very even though you have the dissolution of ego experience, not every time, sometimes you don't feel anything. Sometimes you're just sick. Sometimes nothing. You just sleep, you know, but that is very earth about the earth and nature. You definitely feel very connected to nature when, when you do it forever after, you know, there's, there's a deep connection to mother earth and mother nature and a deeper understanding of like kind of her school sort of, but I have to say the, the DMT, the Bufo frog to, for me, my one experience with it, it shot me right to the source. I was, and then there's no sickness. I felt great after, you know, so if you're worried about your little earth body, which seems kind of irrelevant when you come back, you're like, Oh God, you know, except, uh, well, let me take that back because after that, the two back-to-back -back experiences, the doing the the Bufo in June and then do, having that very extreme ayahuasca experience in July, the download that I took away from both of those is that the 
the body that we have here, and it might sound obvious, but the body that we have here that we're walking around with really is our connection to this realm. And it, but it goes beyond death because obviously, you know, it, you, you, you know, just like a flower or you see roadkill or something, there's no uh, consciousness in there anymore. It came, it lived, it died. And then, th then there's a shell, but it's just when we're, when you have an experience where you do one of these heavy entheogens and you do have a death experience in them, you come back and you're way grateful for your body. You know, you go, oh, my heartbeat beat. Oh, my breath. Oh my, you know, like my pulse and, oh, I feel the wind or I feel something under my feet. And there's just a, an entirely new connection with how, how your body connects you to the vibration of this place. And, you know, that's where I feel like another thing that's kind of been taken from us. You know, if we go again, you go and talk to an indigenous tribe and it's not like I do this all the time, but I'd be willing to bet, <laughs> you know, if I go down to, you know, to Peru or if I go out to Arizona or up to Siberia or something, there's people walking around going, of course, of course, it's our sort of brainwashed, programmed culture. It's just, I mean, you know, you do this show and every show you do, you're helping to deprogram people all the time. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a huge compliment. I, I thought I was very terrible at it until I started the podcast because everybody that I would approach with this information would be shocked or appalled or curious as to why I was too curious, you know, and, <laughs> and, and yeah. So yeah, thank you. I appreciate you saying well, that. I, I love what you titled it because that's why I started listening to it. It wasn't, nobody recommended it to me, but I was like, oh yeah, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like it works. <laughs> his thinks he's crazy. We must have something in common. I love yeah. it. That's the point. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I'm really, Tara's been cooking an answer up or a question up for a second. Go ahead, Tara. All of our talk of the, of the herbs and Bufo. It's all yeah. Helping me make sense of my own experiences lately, um, too. It helps us to enter into the, the realm of the senses. And the, the realm of the senses is pure, purely experiential, experiential, right? You're yeah. right. The senses, because, you know, it's so subjective. The senses are so, and it is our only connection to you know, our own connection to like our high, a higher reality. Like I might not like we, I, we might cut a lemon in half and you're going to might be having a totally different experience that I'm having, but that experience is registered with whatever we want to call the higher self. Oh, sour. I like it. I don't like it. I, you know, so, and then all of the other senses, not just taste, you know, what we see and what we feel and what we hear. And, and yet if we are all, sort of part of this ineffable energy and we're just little pieces of it experiencing itself, you know, then, then we should be honoring other, you know, like the way you taste a lemon. I, I, that, that's a big deal. I should be really, really impressed with that or really, really care, you know, but we walk around just like, so like taking people in our, we for sure take the NPCs for granted. Right. <laughs> but I mean, we take our families for granted, we take our pets, because those are pieces of God also having a very deep experience with its senses, you know, and we just, we think we're so separate in that way. And yet we really aren't. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it teaches us that we're all one. Mm. Well, yeah. And and on the point of oneness, synicity is a big theme on the show. We love to focus on that. And you said that this person who became a shaman for you and helped you and guided you through these experiences, you met them synchronistically. Is there a story there that we can learn about or, or you could share with us? So, okay. So the way I found him was I start, you know, just did some internet searches, you know, for my general area. And so I had, what ended up happening was his wife was kind of connect doing the the hard work online to connect people with him and he really was the real deal so it was this sort of intuitive because i had contacted a couple people and then it was this contact that i felt the most strongly about and so essentially you know she said well we'll meet we can meet in downtown LA at a coffee place. And I had, I had not met any of the people that I was like emailing with. And it was also, it was kind of down a weird rabbit hole. Like I found a website and then that took me to another website that was like the address was all numbers and letters kind of thing. And so it was hidden. It was almost on a, uh, not dark web, but it was in this sort of hidden because it was very illegal at the time. Like there was no, you know, decriminalization of anything yet. You know, this was back in 2014. So, right. So there's no like Google map directory, like, Hey, ayahuasca bar right here. You know, I mean, that's the dream world experience though. Right. Like, I mean, that's what life was for the majority of humanity. It wasn't like big blazing signs, like for food this way in a forest, you know, (laughs) like totally. Yeah, totally. He he had a loft in downtown L.A. too. And so we did several many ceremonies there. And where I went and did the Bufo was in downtown L.A. too. So but now it's super funny because there are you almost, you know, probably in every city, but definitely in L.A. or Malibu or, you know, Topanga, you, you can't throw a rock and not hit an Iowa scarrow. Like it's and what's super funny to me is in that subculture you know, it's, it's not uncommon to wear white in ceremony. And then also to be like super nat, you know, have like whatever with the feathers in your hair, you know, like braids and Birkenstocks and a bedroll and a pillow. And so now I just, I laugh my ass off because I I will see like a group of people dressed in white, smelling like Palo Santo, you know, (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's just great, though. Like, mines are flying open all over the place. Well, we're on the East Coast, so I don't, there might be one in Providence I've heard of, but I've never, I've never seen anyone that fits that stereotype yet. Maybe in New York City. I'm sure a few of them made their way to the city, but, but yeah, we don't have a lot of those in Connecticut. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Well, Well, and with that said, that doesn't mean that they're all being led by leaders with integrity. A lot of them for sure, but I've experienced both. So, Mm. you know, just for anybody. Well, and that's the thing. It becomes a trend and you get a lot of people that sort of muddy the waters, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of posing and, and yeah, I, I heard you discuss sort of the darker aspects too of the ayahuasca world, which is something that I've always been curious about because, you know, my foray into this topic was through Michael Harner and Carlos Castaneda. And while those books did have a more positive spin, they also highlighted some of the darker 
aspects of this world. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, there are shamans who would, you know, fight each other in the astral world. They would throw you know, psychic darts at one another. They would, you know, cast spells and hexes on each other. So it's not all, you know, fun and games and enlightenment when you're dealing with these realms, you know, whether it's through plants or others, you know, other practices, you know, sober or not. There's definitely a lot of interesting facets that get overlooked for the, you know, more like, you know, what our culture incentivizes, which is intoxication, right? Anything intoxicating is like, ooh, we got a big, you know, buzz, buzzword for that. Let's market it. Yeah. yeah. yeah let's, let's get rich. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things and, and to separate the two, like say a dark shaman from just people trying to make a buck. Cause I do think those are two different things in, in if Tara, if you had done ayahuasca, you, you know, that kind of the integration process coming back to this 3d realm is, I don't know if it was a challenge for you. Sometimes it's not. It often is though, because you go to these, you know, if you have a, the whole dissolution of ego experience or the unity consciousness where you you're sitting with God or, you know, you come back here and you're like, if you, you oftentimes you need a little help to integrate back into the 3D and the the ayahuascaros or curanderos that are very aware of this that and have integrity to make sure that they don't just be like, OK, your check cleared by, you know, but are if it matters to them and they make sure that you come back and are completely integrated back into dealing with, you know, you know, your your car broke down or, you know, you're fighting with your sister or, you know, because some of these things like your mechanics going to be like, you, I don't care what you want, you know, you still owe me $5,000 or whatever, you know, like trying to integrate because it's the, you go to the the big place to your higher self and you come back here and you're your little ego again. And that's, that's can be difficult. And so the experience I've had the experience where also that there are arrows, new Iowa scarrows that really want to do the, the good work, but they don't have enough experience, but they get excited and a little bit of a Messiah complex and they all of a sudden start taking on clients, you know, doing ceremonies with 10 or 20 people. And these people are, you can become a, a bit unhinged. And then if that, you know, that new curandero who maybe his or her heart is really in the right place, they just can't handle helping them back. They don't have the tools. They don't have the, the experience, the, which I think a lot of the, the indigenous tribes, they do, they know what you've been through and they know how to guide you back. And then there's, I've also experienced, you know, one that is, was purely in it for the money, you know, Mm. made the nice shiny brochures and marketed it and, you know, had zero interest in anybody's healing. Also, there's a whole spectrum and there's, you know, there's more in the spectrum as well. So, you know, that that's a dark side of that world in the material. And so the dark side of the world in the spiritual, I, I do think that there is dark stuff going on. And I do think that there are those that feel called to do battle in those dark realms. And, and I, 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 I believe, or I think that the shaman that I was working with who died in Peru, I think that's what he was doing and, and he, he didn't make it. 
And so, and that left me with a lot of questions and that's a very big story, but it, just to kind of help answer that part of your question. So I've come to believe that with the light and the dark and any of this stuff, whether it's the plant medicines, whether it's the mediumship, meditation, even here in this realm, if your intention is of the light, then you stay in the in the light. If your intention is in the dark, that's what you'll find. So just to illustrate that, I just I take course, I take some mediumship courses at the Arthur Findlay College in England. They do online courses mm-hmm. and stuff. It's mediumship, it's spiritual arts and stuff. I get a lot out of that. And I did a trance course. And one of the people asked the question, you know, if we go into trance and we bring through, you know, this, these divine messages from, you know, ascended masters, how do we know something dark is not going to come in and possess our bodies? And the teacher said, I, I, there's nothing to be afraid of. I only allow the light. There's nothing to protect yourself from. If your own, if your intention is only in the light, you don't need protection. So, and I thought it was a, it was a perfect answer. Like if you're going to worry about the dark and talk about needing protection, if you feel like burning sage is going to help, then burning sage will help. As long as your intention is, is to remain in the light and have no space. But if you're constantly going around, Oh my God, Oh my God, then you're essentially just telling it that's where your mindset is. So the dark shamans and the, the light shamans and the, you know, the, the, those that practice, you know, chaos magic and things like that. I mean, all of these are just vibration and energy. And if if it's if it's something that you dabble in, you know, uh, all I can say is good luck to you. But I don't, you know, I'm uh, only have space for the light. So mm. saying that with that dark experience I had with the ayahuasca the last time in July, I know it was for me. It was hard to go through, but in the end, I came back with the deep understanding of the download of how my physical body is what keeps me here in this 3D realm. And then, you know, there's no coincidences. There's no, you know, everything is connected. It was only about a week later, my brother died. And so, you know, it's been my brother for a very long time. He's the last of my original family. And I was able to be there with him when he passed. And I had not had that experience before, but because of the knowledge that I had about how this, the, the, the way the spirit connects to this 3d realm, I was able to process his death in like a really, really beautiful and shamanic way. I watched him take his last breath. And then I watched, we, we all knew he left the room, you know, his kids were in there too. We all, we all felt him leave. We all looked up and went, okay, he's out, you know, he's free. He's finally, you know, and then I sat, we all sat with his body for a while. And it just reminded me of, you know, a, a dead rose, you know, it had life and then it doesn't. And it was as beautiful and as simple as that. And so part of me going through that dark, what I perceived as dark when I was in it came back, turned out to really be a, a deep, intense lesson in the light. And and once again, reaffirmed my confidence or my knowledge that where you put your intention is where the energy will flow. So it was a big answer. I know you, you told a little piece of this story, but I really would love to hear a little bit more of it because I do want to punctuate something that I heard you say on a previous podcast. And, you know, this conversation has been totally unique. So folks go listen to that one too, to hear a different version of the story. But if you could tell us a little bit about the, the past shaman, you know, your, your late shaman and, 
you know, I don't know his name, but much respect to him in the afterlife. I'm curious about, you know, the circumstances. You said they were mysterious that led to his death, but I also heard you say that a plant spirit, right? He's become a plant spirit, a new plant that's growing in the Amazon. And I find that absolutely fascinating and, and beautiful because that's, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, right? The conscious relationship between all of the different aspects of our natural world, plant, animal, animal, mineral, human, and, and to think that someone could reincarnate as a, as a, a new plant, you know, is so yeah, profound. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah so I, I worked with him for a few years and was working closer and closer and was also, it's not that I had any designs on being a facilitator, but I was just getting more and more experience and trust with him. So, you know, he, what he would do is he would go down every year to Peru or Brazil and sit with the medicine for a month and in silence and, you know, go deep and do all of the things that he would do that he would bring back and uh, to be a better facilitator and you know, Kieran Darrow for all the people. He was his group and his scope was growing because he really did have a great deal of integrity and ma amazing person. But there was about 10 of us that were working really pretty close with him doing these initiations and all of that kind of thing. And and then he said that he felt that he was being attacked by his ex-wife. His wife had turned kind of dark and we'd all kind of experienced that a little bit. And she, I, I can't really explain deeply how and why that happened, but she started attacking him and it became very dark for all of us. So I had to kind of question his integrity just because like, how could this happen? So, uh, you know, and I had to vet him in my own mind because I'd already placed my trust in him quite a lot. And and I ended up through a whole process of actually vetting him, you know, in my own personal way. It's not that he ever did anything that was not, that didn't have integrity, you know, personally at all, but I was looking for signs, you know, like, you know, so I essentially said to God, my guides, my whoever, give me some signs that I can trust him after all of this, because now I'm having doubts. And so it was the very next day after I'd heard that he was going, starting to go through all this hard stuff and he was being attacked by some dark energy, which I didn't, I understood, but I didn't, I hadn't experienced it with this subculture or this protocol before with plant medicines or anything. And the very next day I was going to a Dodger game and I drove right by his lot where his loft was the building. And I have a picture of it still right over his building was an angel, like a cloud that looked just like an angel. And so I told my husband, I'm like, his name was all Shama's name was Alfonso. I go, look at that freaking angel right over Alfonso's building, you know? And, and even my husband was like, whoa, that's kind of wild, you know? And so, so I was like, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that as one of the signs. And so then I sat with him. We had a one night ceremony, either a week or two later. And so I was still kind of thinking about it. And I even told him, I said, I'm, I'm after what you, you know, you said, I'm, I'm having a little hard time. Like I want to make sure, you know, I got to vet you, you know, and, and he said, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Of course you do, you know? And so anyway, he was doing this dissertation before 
we were going to drink and start the ceremony. And there was this reflection from the street below and it created a perfect, very bright cross right over his head on the wall. And in the middle of the cross was an extra bright light. And so I pointed it out to everybody in the room. I'm like, there's a cross over, <laughs> over Alfonso's head, you know, and he just looked up and he smiled and everybody was like, Oh my God. You know? And then we tried to figure out where it was coming from and stuff. And then we figured it was just the way some stuff was on the street. And so I was like, you know what? Okay. And then, so I, I had that ceremony and then I got a, a very intense download about him during that ceremony. And when I was coming back from the journey, I looked over and he was out on the balcony and he was smoking a mapacho, which is a, you know, like a shamanic tobacco. And, and he was perfectly still and he looked just like a tree. He would, he didn't move a muscle. And I went, Oh my God, he's a tree, you know, and I'm still in the sort of third eye visions still, but I saw him as a tree, which was wild. And then I put my trust in him again. And it, and so then it was, I want to say it was that, that winter after that experience, because that was happening in the summer and it was that winter. He started to say things like uh, to us, to the tighter group, I think I might need some help with this spiritual battle. And so I was also going through something that's it would probably take me too long to lay out, but essentially I was going through a, a, a property dispute. My husband and I were with a family member of his and she, I already knew was a very dark person and I I had to, I had gotten a restraining order. I had to get a restraining order. She kind of wanted me dead. And so I had this weird other material life that had a very dark side. And during one of the ceremonies, I saw attached to her this like demonic presence. So it's a big story. So I won't go too into it. I'll just keep it at that. He had said he knew about that. And so he was having me do these dietas with a non-psychoactive plant. It, it was a plant called Pino Colorado. So it's a Amazonian master plant, but not psychoactive. You drink this tea and you have a very restricted diet and you get insights from the plant. And this was a protector plant, Pino Colorado. So I was doing the Pino, Colo Pino Colorado and he, we had, during that time, we had a shared dream. So this was not an ayahuasca journey. This was a semi night terror slash dream. And I was dealing with that demonic presence that I saw attached to my husband's sister. And Alfonso was in the dream and he did battle on this thing helping me eradicate this sort of demonic thing, right? Sounds wacky, sounds out there and stuff, except when I saw him, he talked about it and he was like, so we did battle in the astral realm against this thing. And I was like, so that for sure bonded me for life with him. I was like, okay, you're not full of shit at all. This guy, this, this stuff, there is dark stuff that happens. Sometimes there's shamans that need to work and, and battle some dark stuff. And that was what he was essentially doing with this thing that was attacking him. Like he showed me in this realm that he could, he could do that and that he helped me and that, and, but then the up, the real upshot was you can do this for yourself. Like I showed you, now you, now it's, you know, you have the knowledge, you have the, you know, this is how it's kind of, this is how it's done or believe that it can be done. So it was just another one of the things he taught me. And, but the, the, the darkness that was coming at him, which he believed was coming through his 
ex-wife, which I don't doubt. And I saw some of her behavior and some of her dark stuff. And even in person, I once saw like her eyes turn black, like that's a thing. So what he was going to go do on this particular trip to the Amazon that he took every year for a month was he was going to go and work with some shamans to find out how to be, to work on becoming a, a, a stronger shaman battling the darkness. And so what he wanted to do, and which is what he did is he went down there to drink another medicine called Tohei. And it's, it's also called Datura. So you, you see a Datura flower. I think it's also called a moonflower, but you can see them in the deserts of the Southwest, just growing on the side of the road. They're a big white flower. They look like a star, very poisonous, extremely poisonous, the wrong dosage. And it's, it, you're dead. And so he went down, he started growing a Tohei plant on his porch and I knew what it was. And I asked him before he left, I said, you're not going to drink Tohei, are you? And he said, that's what I think I'm going to need to do to deal with this curse. Cause he then believed that the curse, that this darkness had cursed our group. And so I had had a dream that sort of confirmed that to me. It gets into like a real, I, I could make this story like two days long, trust me. But the dream that I had was I had had a spirit animal download in one of my deep ayahuasca journeys. And I had this dream that my spirit animal needed to go help him. <laughs> and so, you know, it just sounds so Harry Potter, but in any case, that's what happened. And so I, I trusted him that he felt that it was going to be attacking the entire group. So he went down in all seriousness uh, to ba do battle as a, with the darkness. One thing that he had said to me before he left is he had asked me to help run the circle, the ceremony was while he was gone. And I said, I'm not co really comfortable with that, but uh, I'm sure I'm okay doing one, or maybe I'll run the women, I'll do the women or something. And so he was very happy that I would do that. I thought he was coming back. I thought he was going to be gone for a month. So I would run like one ceremony or something. He had also asked me somewhere before that, he, he very much wanted me to start practicing Vipassana meditation, which I did do those ceremonies after. And that's, it's a whole other show, but also powerful in, in learning that your psyche or you can visit these realms with just meditation. It will get you there, but that's just a bit of a sidebar. So Anyway, it was just, those were the kind of thing, the two things that he left me with. And I was like, okay, I'll see you in a month, you know, but he did die. And I, they, they said it was a heart attack, but I a hundred percent believe that he got with a shaman that maybe wasn't of the best integrity or had as much experience as they should have had to guide him through doing the Tohei. So the, I, this was right outside of Iquitos and Iquitos, he believed, and I've heard other places can be a very dark place. And also that there's an ayahuasca tourist trade down there and Peru doesn't want it to get out that people can die doing this stuff because it's, you know, money corruption or whatever. So the very strange part is the way that I found out there was one of the group and I don't know how she found it, but she found this not a bootleg video, but like this really obscure video of this kind of like, what would you call it? Kind of guerrilla journalism, these kids on the back of motorcycles, just with a video camera and then uploading it to the internet. They videoed him being pulled out and thrown in the back of a truck out of where he died. So 
that's how I found out is she found this video and said, I'm pretty sure Alfonso died down there because we'd gotten word that he died and somehow she dug this video up. It was crazy. And so, you know, we, it was confirmed even before his body was back, we'd seen video and the, even the video itself was like, there was this like weird darkness about it because they literally tossed him in the back of this. I mean, this guy was regal. I mean, he was handsome and strong and funny and like charismatic. Like this was just so, it wasn't right. And so one thing that he had said to me before, which I kept with me was the darkness is like whack-a-mole, you know, and he had an accent too. So for him to say whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole, it's like whack-a-mole, you have to, you know, and what he meant was you might be able to push it down here, but it'll pop up over there. And so he knew that like, for me and a few of the people working with him, integrity and staying in the light was very important and not to be influenced, like corrupted, essentially, you know, always stay in light, always be your own shaman. Don't follow anybody's lead. And that's, you know, like you are your own shaman. And that's what Alfonso would say is like, I'm just a teacher. I'm not a leader. I'm not your guru. I'm not any of those things. And so he was always like, don't let anybody tell you how to do this. You know, in your heart, no matter what it is, the protocol that you're following, you know what's best for you. So don't ever give your power away to anybody. Understand the darkness is gonna, it's like whack-a-mole. Sure enough, he wasn't dead maybe three weeks. And there was another person in that group taken over with the shiny brochures and the costs went up and the medicine was like tainted and like, it was crazy. You know, I had to, the lies and the obfuscation and the ego and the, whole thing didn't take long like body wasn't even cold and sure enough there it was so you know died mysteriously yeah i mean because the official story is a heart attack the guy was healthy as a horse you know and i knew the backstory i was like and then with the new you know leaders in this group we couldn't talk about it it was not and so you know me and a few almost everybody just had to back up and just be like okay if we can't talk about how and why this guy died what are we doing here what what are we actually you know, what are we actually pursuing? Are we pursuing the light or are we just sort of facilitating your new career path as, you know, as like the rock star shamans, you know? So anyway, that was, that was how that, that went. But in hindsight, I'm absolutely happy that it went that way. Cause now I know mm. I'm for sure not naive about any of that. And I don't think anybody going in should be, you know, cause all kinds of crazy Tara knows all kinds of crazy shit happens with, you know, and then, you know, it's a very, very big responsibility to be guiding people into shamanic realms. Mm. And so the the part of the story that you had mentioned about him turning into a plant. So then after he was gone, I was, it's not that I was lost. I was just confused. And then the group getting taken over and I was working very deeply with the medicine and I was, you know, reaching levels where I was kind of maybe about to graduate from kindergarten. You know, I was like, okay, I'm, I was just about to go further with him. And, and so I had this interesting experience. I was doing a dieta, which is like I said, with the non-psychoactive master plants. And I was taking a bath called Olympia. So there's a thing that you can do with shamanics, kind of a body cleanse, you know, it's, Various plants. 
herbs and flowers in a bath. And so I was, you know, tuning in and meditating. And so I was taking Olympia bath and I had, I was leaning back and I had a candle that had Alfonso's face on it. We'd, you know, so anyway, so I kind of felt him around. I was like, yeah, he'd be super stoked that I'm doing a dieta and meditating and a lot. And, and, and there was this, so <laughs> we had a shaving mirror in the shower and on the shaving mirror was a, was a washcloth that had been put on there wet and then dried. And then it had been there for like weeks. And so it was stiff and hard. There's no way it could fall off onto my head. Like, but it did. I, I, oh, what the, you know, I look up and I'm like, how could that possibly happen? Like, and so, so I, I thought I'm like, okay, he's trying to get my attention. So, so I got up and out and I felt like going immediately to my computer and I just opened it and I got an email from this group and they were called Origin Sagrada. And I think they still do it. They're from Colombia, 10 Colombian shamans, and they come here once or twice a year and they lead ayahuasca ceremonies and stuff. And I was like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, how'd I get this newsletter? It's so weird. And I thought, well, nobody would have like put my name. It was just weird. And I, but I thought at a sign because the washcloth just fell on my head. And I was, you know, was when you do these dietas, you're really super psychic, you know, because you're not eating any meat, no milk, no alcohol, no nothing. You know, you're really open. And so I signed up right then. And so it was that ceremony. I had also, I should say, the ceremonies that I tried to do after he was gone, I would take big drinks two or even three in a night and I would feel nothing. I would just sit there, nothing. And everybody else is in Vi Vietnam and having their, you know, epiphanies and all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe I've grown immune or I just, I can't. So I went there and I told these shamans and they were all Colombian, you know, through the interpreter, I told them, you know, can ask, can, can you become, you know, immune or, you know, t tolerant. And they just laughed. Ha ha ha. You know, they're all, all these guys <laughs> laughing at little gringa, you know? So they gave me, they did give me a very big drink though. And it, it was a very deep experience for me. And they, when you, what they had done was because it was 10 shamans, seven men, of all ages, young to the very old Taita, they're, they're called Taitas, and then three women. And the women did all the dancing in this fire ceremony. It was really deep. It wow. was really something else. Yeah. Really, They it's really protect the space very well too. So I, I feel like with the indigenous, they, they, they don't fuck around. Like they, I don't, I feel like in that play, kind of place, Tara, you, they, no one, nobody would have been wandering off. Like they're right on you and they're watching your experience and they're singing Icaros to you and they're fanning you with banana palms. And like, they're a hundred percent in your energy field, watching what your energy field is doing. And because they've been doing it for generations, this is their medicine. This is, it's not, it, it's not fun time at all. It's we're healing. Like all oh, the healing was incredible. So so anyway, I had a very deep experience, very healing experience. The lady shamans were just, I could feel their, I, you, you could, I could just feel their energy. It was wild. It was, it was the, it was the best possible thing that I could have done at that juncture. And I do feel like Alfonso set it up. So anyway, at, at part, there was a part where there would be a group of three people at a time that would get up on chairs. If you could get off your mat, if you were able to, you know, walk around at all get up in these chairs. And then the, the, the seven male shamans would go in a circle around singing Icaros over our heads. And then with these like banana palms and palm fronds, brushing our 
spirit body, our energy fields, right? So it was loud and and also beautiful though, harmonious, but also like all almost like rattles, you know, the sound. And then the the women shaman, they were dancing in front of, you know, doing this like energy healing dances. Anyway, it was during that time I could hear Alfonso's voice. And so, yes, for sure, under the influence of ayahuasca. So very third eye open, but I could hear him there sing, singing with them. And so, so then I was, you know, it was like his way and of coming through to me to get me to go there so I could actually hear his voice again, singing the Icaros, right? So then the next day through the interpreter, it was like a Q&A after everybody was, they did it a little different. Like they, they had us go all the way till the sun came up. And so it was very long, but so we were still, nobody had slept yet, but we were all not under the influence anymore, just in a really good heart space and, and asking questions and stuff. So, so then I got to, I asked the question, I said, you know, i I, I was working with a shaman who passed away and I feel like I heard him when you were singing the Icaros. And so it went all the way up to the oldest Taita, you know, this 80 year old. And, and he, through the interpreter, you know, said, yes, for sure. We knew you lost your shaman. We knew why you were here and he was here and, you know, told me that there now because of his spirit energy and the work that he had done here, there is now a new, a brand new plant in the Amazon that didn't exist before that. So, you know, I've, I think I told this story somewhere and the person responded said, there's probably a new plant in the Amazon all the time because it's the Amazon and it's ever, but that might be true. But what if it's because there's people that decide that they want to put their, or a part of their consciousness in a plant. And so I for sure had more than one ayahuasca experience where I decided because I have free will that I want to feel what that experience feels like being a tree, being a cactus, been a deer, you know, like, and feeling what it feels like and understand what, you know, that was one of the hugest downloads that I came back with was everything is conscious. And if you decide you want to be an iPhone and see how that feels, you can. So, and I also had a very deep experience where I was a, that was realer than here was, I was a, like a cyborg situation. I had to plug into a mainframe and that's not something that this identity finds attractive at all. But in the experience, I, I learned, you know, that you have free will, you leave this meat suit, you want to go be a rock for a while? Like, why, why, why would you not? Why would you not be able to? There's, you, you are a piece of God. And if God decides, I want to feel what it feels to be a rock <laughs> or, you know, a cactus yeah. or a cyborg. Wow. Yeah. No. And I mean, we have a, a a mountain nearby called Sleeping Giant, and it's shaped like a a human form lying on their back. And and there's a native Native American legend of the the great what is it? Is it Kitan? Kitan and his brother Hobomoko fought, and Kitan became the mountain, and Hobomoko became a different mountain. But he's not as well, you can't really see his body as distinctly as you can Kitan, right? Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. And that's cool, though, because and then also the energy of people knowing that story gives, you know, we don't know what's happening on all the different dimensions. Well, we and to your point about, you know, protocol, follow your own protocol. I mean, 
I love that point. I really want to highlight that because for me, as a young man, before I met Tara, one of the things I really loved to do when I was in like a, a, a place where maybe I was at a low point or I needed a boost, I needed to, to set my intention, I would go instinctively to this sleeping giant mountain. I didn't have the understanding that this was potentially a, a spiritually powerful place, but I would hike up to the head and I would lay my crystals out and, and set my intentions. And I remember taking my buddy John up there after his older brother passed away. And we did a sort of, you know, ceremony right, with just burning sage and, and saying some prayers to his brother. And afterwards, with the research Tara and I have been doing, synchronistically finding all these books, we find out that there's this whole culture of of shaping stones here in new england that goes back thousands of years they have these uh, big stone eagle head cat head bear head up on the top of mountains around the new england area and like really and another interesting thing people who've been to new england they'll see like the picturesque rock fences in everybody's front yard some theories wow. say that those are ancient and they've been there for thousands of years and they're all straight and lined up. Some of them, of course, have been built by farmers. But yeah, it's it's really interesting how this stuff kind of like retroactively comes into focus. Like you have these elements appear in your life. And to your point, again, it's your own protocol. Like this work for me is what resonates with me. And I hope that having these conversations yeah. with a brilliant person like yourself, we can share our examples and, and other people can use those examples not to mimic our paths, but to carve their own, forge their own way. And, and yeah, I mean, wow, this has been really, really hi highlighting a lot of our favorite subjects. What do you think? Yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah. 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 Thank you for saying that. I'm glad we are a uh, simpatico. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that probably was the biggest lesson that that Alfonso taught me was like be your own shaman. You know, you can you can take little bits of what other people do, but there is no there is no rules. You know, I, I did take a couple Michael Harner courses, back, and that was kind of the only thing that I don't want to say turned me off, but I thought because there was so many proto so much protocol and rules and stuff, and so. I took away from those things that worked for me and then, you know, discard the rest. And I think, you know, have, you know, he, he also said there was another, uh, one of my favorite other co-travelers when I was with Alfonso, she asked him one night, she said, what's it mean to be a good shaman or how can I be a good shaman? Something like that. And he just said, have power over no one. So essentially teach guide, all of that kind of thing, but everybody's got their own way of doing things. It's their own, you know, their own path. And if you go, if you look at your friend, be like, Hey man, I'm going to get some rose quartz too, <laughs> or whatever, or I need a hawk feather in my altar. Or, or even if you don't like, I don't have an altar. That's, that's not my vibe. Like I've got a couple cool things and all some things I like sitting next to my bed and then I'll move something around. And then once in a while, then something will pop up. I'll be like, well, you know, I found a crow feather. I'm going to put it by the white candle or something, but like, I don't, you know, it's, 
And but if you do have this big altar where you've got Buddha and you've got flowers and you've got the whole like, that's cool, too. Like if that's you know what I mean? There's it's not all one way, whatever it is, your whatever it is that's you and your sovereignty is is where it's at. And anybody comes along and says you're doing it wrong, (laughs) then show them the mirror, you know. Mm, Right. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I got my hawk feather right up there and she's got a quite the altar we've we've mixed it around but yeah it's fluid i got a bunch of crystals on my on my yeah, desk power, here power items crystal yeah collected yeah. items yeah well, and she's kind of brought this into my life i used to just buy stuff at crystal stores and whatnot but since i've started dating her we've collected a lot more really interesting stones just from rivers and different hiking spots that we've gone to we went to the serpentine barrens with our friend michael Wan, and i got some serpentine wow really collected yeah it's beautiful there's only a few spots like this around the united states but they have it's hard to see in this light but this is like a green little stone here but yeah it's 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 one of those things that I think exactly simpatico, like we're we're sort of going around the circle here sharing ideas like we would have hundreds of yeah. years ago, you know, and, and I think that's the double edge of technology is, yeah, it's it's in training a lot of people into the, the up that is our society, but in the same turn, it's enlightening and uplifting people and, and sharing this kind of information to new audiences is... Like a new tribe is forming as well. I mean, because you know how like 200 years in history is just a blip, Mm, you know? Right. But when we're looking back on this 500 years, it'd be like, and then a new tribe formed and they were, they were like-minded and they went, you know, they, they would follow the hawk or they, you know. Well, yeah, they would drink ayahuasca and have crystals and yeah, connect with nature while everyone else was covering themselves with plastic and plywood and and, (laughs) yeah. Oh man. And you mentioned before with the out of body experience, you know, floating through buildings and like feeling like the actual different densities. Did I hear that correctly? Uh -uh, uh Uh-uh. This is sort of off the cuff question, but maybe a little tangent. Do you think that these megalithic structures are built in a way to facilitate this kind of astral travel? Maybe the stone is like, you know, you get inside of there, it's easier to leave your body and there's sort of like a pathway to follow out because of the density of the stone. I don't know. Just a thought. Such an interesting question. I was just talking to somebody last night and we were talking about underground cities and he pulled up some pictures and like the, the, the pathways through are like body shaped, you know, underground cities. It's so funny that you brought that up. Well, synchronicity, like, whoa, yeah. I mean, I love that idea. Well, there's the doors, you know, the, go ahead, Tara. I know. There's like the, the, the silhouette of a human shaped door, but it's not like a door. It's a cutaway of a door. 
And in these like megalithic structures in South America, there's quite a few of them. They're like a doorway, but it has like the head space, you know, shoulders uh -huh, like and then, yeah, it's like a block, you know, like the, the, what the kids play now, Minecraft and all that, like a block man, you know, shape, wow, but yeah. it's, that's the idea is that it would have been a portal and you sort of phase through it. I remember ancient aliens, they had a bunch of like archaeologists standing around like scratching their head like how would this work you know like not really conceptualizing the spiritual aspect of it maybe well okay so i was it was brandon with expanded reality mm. realities and he was talking about if these are these sort of portal doors are lined with crystals mm. so in and out of a body experience like I mean, obviously, it would be an energy field that you would go through. I mean, that that is fascinating. And the fact that it's the topic has come up two nights in a row, like, <laughs> you know, just another yeah. sink, but something to think about, well, you know. Well, Tara, go ahead. That's what I mean by these downloads, like, too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like, following these synchronicities, especially in this conscious community, seeing it all, like, come together. It, it just it's been coming to me like one after the other throughout uh, for for months and i haven't yeah. it, well the building <laughs> Well, we were talking about putting them underneath our bed, like arranging like a crit, like each section underneath the bed with a different set of crystals. So like root chakra red where our feet would be and then so on up the chakras for yeah. for sleeping purposes. Well, we haven't done it yet. Your experience when you, you know, when you do that, because maybe maybe there is a protocol with which to follow that makes the leaving the body a lot easier and finding the path back or i mean i don't think coming back is a hard is the hard one i think you know there's a connection and you get shocked back yeah you know, well i think but, there's something to it when you look into those orgone research studies where they were using different types of materials in combination to create like a, a chamber where somebody would be you know healed by this orgone energy I, right. I think there's a science to it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, you know, there's so much compartmentalization nowadays. It's really, you know, a disservice when, you know, so much of what we're talking about is interconnected science and spirituality. There's a mid ground. It's not one or the other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yet if everybody knows about all of this stuff, you know, who's, who's going to work in the cubicles at the corporations and stuff <laughs> and hence the the show you know my family thinks i'm crazy and waking people up and and quit your day job you know i think that's one of the fun things about being in this tribe as we talked about is like the freedom that i feel now having this as my sole income it's yeah. it's scary in the sense that i don't have a 401k or like you know big amount of savings to fall back on i'm just flying by the seat of my pants and supported by the listeners and you know the the odd jobs i do here and there but it's it's amazing the freedom that her and i have you know if we want to get in the car and drive somewhere we just do it. You know, I don't have a boss that's yeah. asking me to be at some building at some time of the week. So it's, and yeah, I think that's, clocks. I could never do alarm clocks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, that is hell to me. Like that's <laughs> like being on somebody else's clock is, you know, like, right. Yeah. Tell like, me day, about day, it. Day, you know, it's hell, you know, it's not worth the whatever. I don't know. I, I say that I'm blessed, you know, I've 
worked a long time at being an artist and I pretty much do what I want, you know? <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is a lot of people who aren't artists or don't have that lifestyle can't understand like, well, how do you do it? How, you know, but there is just something synchronistic about it, you know, or, or even you're being guided, you know? And I don't know if that, you know, one, why I say that is because when I was younger, I was really afraid of like following my heart because my heart was telling me like, don't go to college. Don't do that. You're going to find better stuff if you just try and you know, go this route. Right. And I was doubting and I really didn't want to do it. I wanted to take the safe route. But then I met this girl, Rosie, who kind of showed me crystals and kind of opened my eyes to a few things. And she told me, she's like, yeah, I've been homeless for five years. I'm like, what do you mean you've been homeless for five years? Like you have an apartment. Like, she's like, that's not a home, you know, like, and she told me her story of how she had been like living from all place to place to place. And now she's like renting from this person. And, and she said, you know, Mark, you got to have faith. You got to have faith in yourself. She said, every time that I was broke, I didn't have money. I prayed to God and somebody fed me, you know, and I didn't have to beg. It just happened. You know, I'd meet somebody who would invite me over for dinner, you know, and, and that's little like seed was planted of like, yeah, just follow the, the path that the universe is sort of unfolding for you. Don't, don't think too much about it. I, th I feel like that's the kind of approach that I, I get when you talk about Alfonso, like that, it seems like he reson would resonate with that. Oh, totally. Totally. But part of it is following your gut, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. we, we're, I, we're so drawn away from following our gut. We, can we even hear our gut over the sound of Kardashians or the whatever you know you know right okay did you lose me for a second we got you it, it lagged a little bit but I said you said something how could you went over the oh, loudness God. of the Kardashians <laughs> something oh, like that uh, whatever the sound is the traffic the, yeah you know shitty food the well I think that goes back trails. to what we were talking about the body and how these these plants bring us back to our bodies and remind are a great reminder of taking care of the body and the body being this vehicle in which we receive these downloads and if we're not so we need to be taking care of our bodies so that we can download that receive and share with others be that pure vessel and clear out yeah. the dirty waters that's right. And the smog That's and right. then. And yeah, there's a great book. I forget her name. I think it's called The Wisdom of the Body some or Intelligence of the Body, something about essentially how when we have a certain ailment, it really is the disease that we have in our mind. Unhealed trauma manifests in, you know, in the body. And it's our body's way of telling us you have to clean up, clean up that or process that trauma or process that event, you know, move through and heal it kind of thing. And so, you know, if, if there's truth to that, which I believe there is, then, you know, the body's talking to us in all manners of ways. And then, you know, we looked to our overarching control mechanism that's going on, trying to like stick stuff in our bodies and 
right. <laughs> what a wake up, right? Right. But that whole like whatever we're gonna end up calling this time that we just lived through, like so many people started waking up. World War C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny, not funny though. Yeah. World War C. Well, and it, it, it definitely, you know, drew a line in the sand and, and made a, a new group of, of people who didn't realize maybe they were united with each other, you know, and Tara and I are two of the few people in this town probably who didn't. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah, we're like two odd birds here in this town of people who all, you know, for the most part, from what we see, it seems like they all sort of complied, you know, we're, we're in a pretty liberal place next to New York city. So most people are, are kind of very similar to probably what you experience over there in LA, you know, we hear, we hear Sam, you know, barking about that all the time and how, what's going on in LA. So I feel like I have my finger on the pulse with what's going on over there. But Whitney, this has been so much fun. I don't want to keep oh, you so much longer. This has already been two and a half hours, but I want to invite you back to to join us on the show again and, and discuss, you know, more of this. And, and I'm sure there's more stories you can share with us. So, wow. For sure, Mark. It's been great. And Tara, it's been wonderful. So yeah. I had so much fun. And again, I was honored to be invited. So anytime. Thank you. Well, I'd love for, for our listeners to be able to get in touch with you if they have any questions or follow and support if there is a way they can do that. So do you have anything you'd like to share with them, links to, to your social media or website or so on? Yep, for sure. So my Instagram is at TricksterFox7 and then my website is WhitneyFoxMedium.com. Cool. So I'd love to hear from anybody who wants to reach out and say, hey, yeah, love that. Definitely. And I know Tara and I will be reaching out and, and yeah, maybe. I (laughs) I think we touched on the trickster nature a lot too here. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been too. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a thing. Well, (laughs) Whitney. Maybe we'll discuss some of that next time. Yeah, I think so. And and Tara definitely has a lot of thoughts she'd probably like to share off the air. So I'll let you two at that. Whenever you have a a moment, I'll put you two in touch. I'd really appreciate that. And then, yeah, thank you again so much. And for everyone listening out there, have a great moment wherever you are in the now. All right, and that is our episode with Whitney Fox. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. I really appreciate all of you who tune into the show, including Whitney. She listens to the show. So shout out to you, Whitney. I don't know if you listened to your own interview, um, but either way, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. And hey, if you're out there listening and you want to be on the show, maybe you're an author, maybe you're a researcher, you can send me an email, and maybe you're not so sure what you would talk about. That's okay, too. I actually have something exactly for you. 
And anyone who maybe wants to start a podcast themselves, it's called the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue. It's available to listen to for the Patreon supporters, and it's also available for anyone to participate in. So go find out more information about that. The link is in the episode description. It's all available on our Ko-Fi store. That's Ko-Fi, like lo-fi, but with a hyphen in the middle, ko-fi.com. And you can find us there. Just search My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, search Mystic Mark, or just make it easy on yourself and look it all up in the episode description in the show notes. Spend a lot of time putting information there. Speaking of which, find out everything the lovely Mrs. Whitney Fox has to offer. She is a medium, and you can get in touch with her if you'd like to connect and... Tara and I certainly made a connection in this episode. Um, There was a a, a portion that we edited out because it was a little personal. The Patreon family will get to hear that part. But, you know, that's one of the perks. When you're in the Patreon, uh, you don't miss out on anything, even the little sensitive moments that, you know, were personal. Uh, I also don't want to, you know, publicly tell everybody um, which psychedelics I've done because it's not totally legal. So, you know, I think you guys can respect the privacy. And and for those who support the show via Patreon, they get a little extra. Uh, They get a lot extra, actually. Uh, Shout out to our friend Tom Rael, a.k.a. Kev Francisco. I call him Kev. I don't know if he likes being called Kev. But he's been a Patreon supporter for so long that they uh, sent him a t-shirt. The Patreon people sent him a t-shirt. I didn't even do anything. It all goes through Patreon. Um, And he said it looks really great. So if you stick around long enough, there are perks. There are lots of perks. You can join our very special Telegram community uh, for supporters only. We also have a main Telegram community for anyone to join. Sign up for that in the episode description or just go to t.me slash my family thinks I'm crazy. That'll get you there. And uh, yeah, I don't plug the telegram enough. It'd be nice to see some new faces in the telegram. Shout out to all the usual folks in the telegram. I'm not always my bright and sunny self in the telegram, but you got to understand I admin for a couple different telegrams. So Sometimes I'm carrying over that uh, negative energy from being a troll, spammer, admin, you know, manager (laughs) uh, and dealing with all that crap. Sometimes I'm carrying that energy over into the telegram and I need to be more aware of that. So I'm speaking it into existence right now so that I no longer have an excuse. So expect bright and sunny Mark in the telegram. Get in touch with me. Uh, if you have questions, that's a good place to ask them. You can also email me if you'd like to ask a question more privately. And, uh, yeah, I've got a couple other podcasts that I do. The Esoteric America podcast comes out every Tuesday. It comes out early on Apple, Spotify, and all of the audio platforms. And you get it YouTube um, the night of Tuesday on the East Coast, 10 p.m., West Coast, 7 p.m., and... Uh, it comes out a day early on Rockfin. And that show is moving full steam ahead. We've had 
some really awesome guests on. We just did a really cool two-part episode on Detroit with Chad Stemke himself, one of our co-hosts. That one was a little bit more personal, just the fam on that episode. And we've got some new areas that we're surveying, so be on the lookout. Michael Wan and I just put out a new episode of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. And of course, Illuminati Confirmed goes live every other Tuesday. Twice a month we're going to go live and we're also going to do a companion Patreon show and then an occasional uh, bonus Patreon show where it's just Juan, Chris, and I talking shit, talking shop, and all the other crazy things we like to talk about. Um, Oh, and by the way, go and support the Susquehanna Alchemy RSS feed. That's how you listen to the Your Handbook for the Apocalypse show. I can't say that enough. People still seem to not know how to find that show. Uh, But Illuminati Confirmed is easy to find, of course. You can listen to it right here where you're listening right now, or you can go to our YouTube channel. You can go to The Rockfin. Uh, You can even go to Juan's podcast and listen to it there. And you can even go to Chris's podcast and listen to it there. But, you know, Chris is a little... He's a little bit of a geese. He doesn't upload his uh, stuff. He doesn't even have a Patreon. He's a little bit of a geezer. But he has created a really cool brand called Fart Boys. You just search that, Fart Boys with a Z. And you can support my friend Chris. He gets a lot of hate in the comments. And that's not fair because Chris is the gel that brought Juan and I together. And he is the juice that makes Illuminati confirmed so sweet. So tune into that show. And, uh, you know, as for today, all gratitude and blessings go to Whitney Fox. Please support her. She is just such a kind soul. It was really cool to get to know her. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to having her on again in the future. So if you like any guests that we've had on the show... Let me know. I, oh, I'm always open to having a guest back on. Uh, so please, you know, tell me which episodes you like, which ones you don't like. Usually, uh, you know, Telegram or email are the best places to do that. And if you really love the show, leave us a five-star rating or review. If you want to get a shout-out on the show, screenshot your rating and review send it to me i'll give you a shout out and i'll send you a free sticker and if you send a one-time donation i'll do all of the above give you a shout out send you a free sticker and uh yeah we're gonna keep on grooving from here these extended outros uh that i used to do haven't been doing them a lot lately i've just been pumping episodes out individually um you know i thought maybe just bump up the caliber of guests that I have on and uh, for people who have been on the show many times I'll just get more creative about what to talk about them with but I don't know if I'm going to do the extended outros anymore it just seems like a lot of work so uh, you know and plus these outros have been between five to ten minutes long lately so I don't know this is already uh, extended enough here so we don't need to to cram two guests into one episode. Um, but anyways, who knows? There's always things evolving and changing around here with the show. And I'm always trying to mix things up. So send your feedback. Please give me a positive five-star rating interview. 
That's you know that's not the place for feedback. By the way, if you want to give me negative feedback, just email me about it. Don't leave us a you know negative star review and a comment. I mean, all that does is makes it harder for other people who will like the show to find the show. So uh, don't incur bad karma for yourself by leaving a negative rating or review. Uh, just, you know, if you have some, some critical thoughts, send them to me directly. I'm sure I'll be able to uh, alleviate whatever ails you. Until next time, folks, thanks for tuning in. Support Whitney Fox and uh, enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait. I'm peeking through the curtain, hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain, nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, my third eye's open and my chakra's flowing. All seven channels in my spirit's flowing. Knowledge feeling deeper than the ocean, it's the eightfold path and the sacred lotus. Uh, I'm peeking, flipping through Akashic records. My ego's decomposing like a leper. I'm Edgar Casey going some levitation So with zero hesitation as I jump into the spaceship I'm weary from thinking like an earthling While skyfish dip and dive above the earth circling I'm spiraling, sacred geometry Studying my old selves like it's anthropology Honestly, feeling like life's a comedy As big a game as a paper-run economy I've been playing safe but safest for the weak or hard way I'm peeking, tearing everything apart Wait Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm beta testing old theta frequencies. I lay to rest the ego and the frequent themes. That keep me seeing life inside a box Small minds, kick rocks, Pandora, let's talk uh, I might need a suture for this rift in space I might stay and see how Lucifer's fruit tastes I'm hungry for knowledge and hungry for infinite And every time I'm peeking I can see it for an instant I'm peeking through the curtain at the crowd Sheeps in their seats and the wolves on the prowl Zeitgeist, spirit form, walking through the aisles Consumerism living in their vacant smiles uh, Now I'm peeking through the curtain at the sky I ain't even gotta try, gaining wisdom on the fly I'm touching base with things I can't explain Gods without names on a different plane Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit Certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain, hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain, nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain, cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain, nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait. Wait.